Hello. I was going to cartwheel my way up here, but I didn't want to embarrass my daughters. <laughs> so I didn't. Thank you for being here. I want to talk about lament as a form of activism. I'm going to share some information about the state of our planet. I'm going to share some poems. And then we're going to, lo we're going to look at how these poems reimagine activism. I've had a trajectory around activism that has brought me to this place of lament. And hopefully by the end of the night, you'll see why I am focused on lament. So why lament? I am grieving what we are doing to each other, what we are doing to ourselves. I grieve how we desecrate our earth and its inhabitants. Today's EcoWatch headline, seven million people displaced by extreme weather in the first half of 2019. Um, this is before Hurricane Dorian. They expect by year's end for the numbers to hit 22 million. So let's take a moment and look at the state of our planet. Kind of have a highlights reel of um, what's happening. And I want you to pay attention to what you're experiencing as we go through these slides. So what are we looking at? Um, we're not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but I wanted to give you some information. And I also wanted you, like I said, to kind of keep pulse of what you're experiencing as we're going through these facts. So increased global temperatures, disrupted water cycles, increased ocean temperatures, shrinking ice cover, dry areas are drier, wet areas are wetter, decreased biodiversity. What does that mean in terms of um, how impacts? So next one. Decrease in air quality will equal, equal increase in respiratory and cardiovascular issues, increasing catastrophic weather, Increase in vector-borne diseases. Those are the ones that are spread with, by insects. Increase in water-related diseases, especially with aging infrastructure, as we all know we have. And decrease in food safety and distribution. For those of you that need numbers, natural ecosystems have lost half of their area. Three-fourths of all land has been turned into farm, or covered in concrete, three-fourths. Two-thirds of oceans have been turned into fish farms and shipping routes. Three-fourths of rivers and lakes are used for crops and livestock. And, if you, and I wanted to break this down, particularly for us Americans, those of us in the global north. Individuals in, develop, in, the, individuals in the developed world have four times the footprint of poorer countries. U.S. is 5% of world population, but consumes 25% of the world's resources and produces almost half, 40% of the waste. We would need 4.1 Earths if everyone in the world lived like Americans. Environmental refugees are to number 1 billion by 2050. So as I was reading and as you were uh, reading as well, 
What came up for you in this? Oh, I just want to skip over the lament and go for rage. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Other thoughts? I felt disgusted and I felt guilty sitting here thinking, yeah, I do this and I do that. That helps. Just, it was overwhelming. Overwhelming um, guilt, wanting to go straight to rage. Thank you. I'm repeating in case people in back can't hear you since I have the mic. Um, other thoughts? Yeah. I feel resigned to the inevitable. Resigned to the inevitable. Um, tell me what you mean by that. It's all going away. And actually, I feel that that probably just deserves for the behavior of Okay. So there's some justification, if you will. Um, okay, resigned that it, to our, sort of our demise, yeah? I'd agree with them biology and just like intersectional issues of these. Like, I feel like I'm a librarian of that big antagonist for my son to have a place to live on tackling these issues has become my first priority. And it's still not enough education. Could you all hear her comment? Uh -huh. Um, her degree um, has to do with all these issues and she feels that in her person um, is the intersection of all of these issues because she will be the most affected and people who look like her and her son. Is that accurate? Yeah. And despite all that you do, it's, it feels like it's not enough? Yeah. Yeah, it's terrifying that with all this, all these resources, we can't come to a consensus on it. One more comment, please. Yes. You know, frustrated how often the types of information like this get ignored or disputed or totally rejected and mm. can't even engage. Frustrated with the dismissal of this information. Okay. Thank you for your responses. Um, and now I want to share these same facts with you in a different way. And again, I want you to um, sort of take pulse um, of your reaction to this. So what was your experience of the slideshow versus the information on the PowerPoint? The slideshow makes it raw. I'm sorry? The slideshow makes it raw. The slideshow makes it raw. Can you say more about that? Thank you. Other comments? Yeah. I had the opposite reaction, but because we're so, I, I think maybe inured to seeing pictures of disasters, that that's a disaster. We see that all the time. But seeing that, you know, three-fourths of the world is covered in concrete and farms, that's really scary. Mm. You can't see that in a picture. Whereas, you know, I mean, glaciers calve all the time, regardless of climate change, but. So two very different yeah. reactions. Interesting. Yeah. I, um, looking at the faces and, and the people uh, in those slides, you get the sense that this is not an American problem. This is a other world problem. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I could be mistaken about what I, what, mm -hmm. you know, but it looks like this is not <coughs> the issue here in the United States. This is somewhere in South America or somewhere in Mother Africa or 
somewhere in wherever the case may be. Okay. Which causes a, a disconnect? A dis disconnect. Okay. Um, I, I forgot, I neglected to repeat comments. So um, the first gentleman said that th these, the pictures made it seem more raw. Um, and the other gentleman said that it made, it, it kind of distanced it for him because he sees images like this all the time, and, but the stats made it more concrete, and then you said it made it seem like it's distant from somewhere else. Okay, one last comment. Yeah, Ron. Uh, photos are beautiful uh, in some instances, but how many people here have had someone who has been displaced in some part of the world from storms, mm -hmm. like actually had a physical connection with somebody who's lost their home, their kids, their dog, their family, from this kind of thing. These are people, mm -hmm. these are family members. These are cousins, aunts, mothers, and uncles who are suffering and can't get drinking water mm -hmm. that we go to the bathroom in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that a real question? No, it's, but it's, yeah, it's not a real question. Well, how many people have been displaced, right? Right, and how many people know people who have been displaced? I mean, that's a great, that's a really good question. Um, so I wanted to show the, sl the slideshow that um, if we had the, the little part that comes with it, you would have seen exactly where this was happening. Um, because for the purpose of lament, we need stories. Because stories locate us in a place. And when we are located inside a story, we cannot escape the feeling of the story. We know who we are by first knowing where we are. Stories pin us chronologically, geographically, metaphorically, and spiritually. For example, if I say, name a Florida animal, you would say, alligator. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> If I say a jungle animal, you would say? Tiger. What? Tiger. Monkey. Yeah, sure, tiger, I'll take it. But you see where I'm going with that. Um, and so when we talk about healing the planet, there is something abstract about that. And what we can heal is what we know. So let's talk about that a little bit more. When I personally see the stats, I feel overwhelmed and I feel vaguely guilty, and I feel outraged, and I feel, oh, yeah, overwhelmed mainly. But there's something about being in the story that I hope this will help. So I'm gonna read a poem. Actually, before I read the poem, I wanted to touch on something more about stories. Have any of you ever read the book, Sarah's Key, there it is. It's, it's why I think historical fiction teaches us history in a way that history textbooks can't. Sarah's Key is about a 10-year-old girl who locks her toddler brother in a, um, like in a little hidey place in the closet when the Nazis are coming into Paris. And so her family is going away and she thinks they're gonna come back and she'll be able to free her brother. Of course, she does not return to free her brother, as you can imagine. What if she survived, I can't remember the end of the story, but the incredible, torturous guilt she experienced. This may be a fiction story, but it is the story of anyone who has suffered anything like that. And to locate ourselves in that suffering is key to activism, I think. So I'm going to share a poem published in this book. It's one of my poems. I'm super excited. This just came out. Yay. 
It is an activist poem, and it may not be clear why right away, but we'll talk about it. Troost Aldi. I'm going to take my meds, y'all. I'm going to take my meds. Wrestling a stubborn cart through automatic doors, this refrain meets me. I'm going to take my meds, y'all. I'm going to take my meds. An impending blizzard detours us here. Three uniformed kids step on each other's heels, trailing their dad. A suited woman attends her list and a conference call on speaker. I'm going to take my meds, y'all. I'm going to take my meds. While I wander aisles, dropping what I don't need into the cart, his voice weaves through the packed store. My companion, Hunger, recommends Cheetos and ice cream. I'm going to take my meds, y'all. I'm going to take my meds. Sidestepping a family reunion in produce, he frenzies towards the refrigerator, nothing in his hands. I'm going to take my meds, y'all. I'm going to take my meds. He zigzags to the front. People avert, avert contact, then stare, preoccupied with paying. I'm going to take my meds, y'all. I'm going to take my meds. Lines stretch midway down each aisle. College students in pajama pants shift cardboard box from bony hip to bony hip. I'm going to take my meds, y'all. I'm going to take my meds. Without breaking her conveyor belt rhythm, the clerk's voice cuts through the chatter. You waiting on the bus? He crumples into a plastic chair by the door, cradles his gray head on the blue Formica counter. I don't want nobody to get upset, so I'm going to take my medicine. The red-faced security guard looks pensive as though he's expected to do something. The clerk's voice comes out again slow, real gentle-like. All right, baby. A caress. We each exhale, realize we were holding our breath. So why is this an activist poem? Who is the activist in the poem? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you couldn't hear, it's the cat. Obviously, it's the cashier. She steps. Out. I love the way how, how you said that. She steps out of her role outside of the boxes that we're in um, to extend something to this man who is clearly um, suffering. Um, what does she do to ev for everyone else in that space? Yeah, she releases the tension, calms them down. What stories do is, like I said, I'm going to keep coming back to this because I think it's key to activism. They locate us in, particular, in the particulars. Stories locate us, and then they dislocate us into empathy. That is the job of art. 
that is the job of activism. Why Troost Aldi? That is a very real place in my world. It is at the intersection of Meyer Troost. It is particular to me in my physical world. It is also a metaphor for the world, all of us someplace trying to get what we need in it together in all our variety. So I want to share another lament poem um, with my friend Clara. At the border, mothers. Bueno, one more story, mija. Ay, esa canción. Otra vez, andale, or we'll be late for school. Mothers will. Okay, another drink. Si, te acariciaré la espalda. Mijo, it's past your bedtime. Mothers will not. ¿Cómo dormiste? No tengas miedo. Mama's right here, bebé. Mothers will not get. ¿Qué pasa, cariño? Are you hungry? Lávate las manos, por favor. Mothers will not get to. Solo un ratito más. Muy bien, chiquita. I'm so proud of you. Mothers will not get to say. Feliz Navidad! Feliz cumpleaños! Do you like your present, sweetheart? Mothers will not get to say these. Te amo. Mi vida. Mothers will not get to say these words. Mi alma. Mothers will not get to say these words again. Thank you. In this poem, Clara and I locate ourselves as mothers in the vulnerability of never again being able to voice these ordinary phrases to our children. This terror, this unimaginable grief for mothers who have lost their babies in this way, this is what I'm grieving, what we are doing to each other, what we are doing to ourselves. We have to step into those spaces and we have to stand there. I want to share a poem that might be familiar to some of you that I wrote after the El Paso shootings. Unbearable Witness. I listened to the victim's name while driving my daughter to, to cheer practice and I begin to weep. It is rush hour. I jockey through orange cones and potholes thinking of the freshly orphaned two-month-old whose name I have already forgotten because the news switched to another story, because I do not know the family, because I have to make dinner, because I cannot be pierced again by pain that is not mine, and yet how is it not mine? Their spilled blood and broken bodies pour out of democracy now while I drink in their and our everyday vulnerability than violent goneness. Does this not count as communion done in remembrance of them? I cannot hold both this intimacy and this remove from the world's wounding. Can you? Every day I gorge on cell phone footage of the unimaginable inflicted and suffered. I am not wired to scroll through a child's blood staining pavement than a puppy frolicking on the same insane sidewalk. I am frail, barely managing to love enough those with whom I share bread and laughter. 
maybe we are not meant to be connected to what we cannot hold long enough to heal. Thank you. So I want to hold space for grief in the same way that yogis hold uncomfortable positions or endurance runners keep at it. To be clear, grief is not depression. Grief is not sadness. It is not self, I can never say this word right, immolation. It makes us vulnerable. And in that vulnerability, we can be tender toward one another. I cannot heal the planet. The planet is sentient in its own ways, and it is maybe getting rid of us to heal itself. Us, the most invasive species of all. But what I can do is heal relationship and create space. Stories dislocate me from myself and put me in a world with its suffering and asks tenderness of me, asks tenderness of us. So I'm going to share another poem with you that is not sad. You get a little break. In the garden. Wait, actually, before I read it, I just dumped a bunch of stuff on you. And let me, um, I should probably ask for reactions and give, yeah? OK. <laughs> so before I do that, actually, every poem that I selected, Truest Aldi, um, on the border and uh, the El Paso shootings. Like this woman said over here, I picked marginalized people to talk about because marginalized people are the ones who are suffering the most from what we're doing to the planet and will suffer most. So you, the environment, which is an abstraction, may be something you are not personally passionate about. Every social justice issue this community cares about will be worsened by what we're doing to the planet. And so all your work ultimately is about healing relationship. That is all we have. And I want to speak to your point about giving up, but that's going to come at the end. Okay. Okay, comments. I just filled up the comment space with my comments. <laughs> yeah. put in dualisms like that, which feel artificial. I mean, in the perfect world, we would parent in a way that would fold in what is happening in the world in a way that is instructive to our children, right? OK, so you do want a happier poem. <laughs> in the garden, my hands are crusted in dirt. Soil crowns my cuticles. Palm creases, once deciphered by a reader, predicting good fortune, are now buried. Even as I pause to eat, eat lunch, 
under the kusa dogwood with the black-chinned hummingbird and the five-line skink, I do not wash my hands. I want this coat of loam upon me, infinitesimal particles of what was, what is, and what shall be to linger, reminder of my rightful place. So this is a love poem. In this poem, I express my intimacy with soil of a particular convergence of longitude and latitude. I share this longitude and latitude with other creatures, all of us sustained by the same soil to which we will eventually return. I share this poem with you because maybe it'll cause you to look up five-line skink or, um, <laughs> or the black-chinned hummingbird or to look up what else lives in your particular longitude and latitude. This is a little bit of an ecosystem that I love. It too is threatened. When I think about the work of indigenous defenders the world over, they are trying to protect their particular longitude and latitude. It is not abstract. It is not a cause. It is very concrete. We, the only way we can get that concrete is to allow ourselves to dwell, I think, in the suffering. So, again, stories locate us in particulars. All right, so specifically, what does activism look like for me these days? It is hyper-local. Um, I am in a group of folks um, in my neighborhood, a, a neighborhood climate change coalition. Um, my good friend Amy is a part of that group. Um, what we do is talk, and Clara and Gabrielle, we spend time talking about grief, um, grieving together what's happening. We share our fears. We share the gifts we bring. We share our hopes. And we also think about really practical things. How can we compost together? How can we build water catchment systems in each of our houses? How can we um, make biochar? How can we um, learn how, how to manage when the shit comes, you know, hits the fan. Because if predictions are true, we will need each other in a way that we've never needed each other before. Again, this tenderness and vulnerability has to be the conduit to the communities that we want to create. That's a lot of people want to know what biochar is. Oh. <laughs> um, Yes, okay. So basically biochar is burning dry wood. I wish my friend Marty was here because he could like give you a more eloquent explanation. Um, burning wood to the point where you're making charcoal and then you return it to the soil. It's a form of carbon sequestration. Tom, is that good enough? Yes. Okay. All right. Also how to eradicate lawn but now we're getting into, into head stuff and I don't want us to go there because there's millions of things to do. Let's stay here. Yeah. Um, I really liked your garden poem. Thank you. Um, yeah, it really makes it seem like grounding yourself to the earth and grounding it and not washing it away and like feeling that you're part of it. And like if you're part of it, then you need to do something about it because you're part of everything. Yeah, um, and, and that's really important to me. I, um, I've gardened in my front yard for the last 17 years. Um, and so I, and this, I lived in the same house for the last 
20 years, it's I know my neighborhood, I know my neighbors, I feel very tied to place. And as, a, as an immigrant, having a place that I am rooted in is important to me. And so when I think about survival, when I think about community, when I think about connections, it is very tied to place. Yeah, that's just something that's very important to me. And I, and I mean place in a very physical and visceral way, and it's not up here. Yeah, me too. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I the first part of it, and I also didn't catch the end. The tenderness and vulnerability has to be the conduit to... Community? Sure. Is that... <laughs> vulnerability. Yeah. Okay. I am going to say this. One of the things I really appreciate is the lament isn't whining. It's not complaining. It's absolutely grief. But there's also a sense of Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I I don't want I want the hope to be authentic, and I don't want it to be false, and I don't want it to be a hope to um, alleviate our discomfort because that is false. And and I need I think we need to sit in the discomfort for a while until we can get to an authentic place, so that our actions come from a place of real movement, not just a place to not feel. Yeah. Following that comment, yeah. when you say lament, yeah. I don't like the name, be honest. Because some people relate with complaint. Mm. But starting and listening your poems, I started to make the connection between your feelings mm -hmm. and the flamenco from Spain. Yeah. It's absolutely lament, and flamenco is a freedom expression of the freedom spirit. Uh -huh. I connect lament with lamento uh, guajiro from Cuba, mm -hmm. that is the essence of boleros, as is a romantic and, and another freedom expression of the soul. I made the connection with blues oh. in New Orleans. Huh. It's the lament of the slave people claiming for freedom, claiming for justice. And in that way, listening to you, I started to relate lamento or lament with a freedom expression. Oh. And that freedom is one of the value to confront that reality. Yeah. No, that is my, my thoughts about you. Oh my gosh, I wish I could repeat all that. Yeah. So lament had a negative connotation for Gabriel at first, and then he started to recognize its connection to flamenco and bolero. Um, and then, what was the other thing you said? Blues. With blues, yeah. And so um, there, to him, then it seemed like it opened up a different form of expression and articulation in the world, that there's more freedom in it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yay, I didn't see that. That was awesome. That makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, one thing that I'm not hearing here is the fact that all of this, even to take place in the most simplest parts of our lives, requires sacrifice. Mm -hmm. A sacrifice to reprioritize mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. That way, and the only way that you can start making those changes 
that will repair mm -hmm. the community and the earth. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I do, yeah, mm. okay, that's a whole nother conversation. There is this pressure around individual action, and I don't know if that's what you mean by sacrifice. Well, what I mean by sacrifice is there are, there are lifestyles that we have mm. that are based on consuming mm -hmm. more and more and more yeah. the things that we really don't need yeah. that further increase the problems that we're having with environment as, as, and the, the other issues that you mentioned earlier. If you have me back, we can address that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, and I would like to talk about that more. One of the things that our group talks about is what does it mean to give up hope? What does it mean to be like, okay, we are screwed, and now what? And so we do sit and think about that. And like Gabrielle said, that does create a little more space for us to acknowledge it and to acknowledge our fear. And what does it mean to, if you're an activist, to take on a different mode of being or to say that this sort of activism where we're out in the streets and marching and so on, like that's preaching to the choir. What does it mean to give that up or to, to recognize that just hit, hits its limits at some point? I mean, those are things we, we wrestle with as a group, you know, because again, it's that whole being vulnerable and talking about things. Other comments or questions, yeah. Could you say more about the doing beyond the feeling? Because when you're talking about art earlier, mm. you're recognizing that good art uh, raises empathy around something. Mm. Right? But I sometimes think that empathy becomes an end rather than a transition to mm. a path toward a better world. Mm. You should have me come back. Um, <laughs> so. There's so many ways to respond to that. I don't think empathy can ever be an end of its to in and of itself. I think we have a lot of programming to be cerebral and action-oriented, and we don't give enough space for what's happening in our hearts and in our relationships. Um, I also think that empathy if, and, and actually lament, if we sit in it long enough, if you've ever had to grieve something horrible, you do come through the other end. And there is the fear that we won't come through, that we will stay mired in our pain and our grief. And yet, there, we, we don't, we won't. Because we can grieve in community, we can articulate our vulnerability, and we can be there for each other and share that. And that creates space, one. Two, again, around action. I'm a firm believer if the actions are not changing systems, then I'm not sure what the action is worth. If the action is, to make us feel like we are personally pious in our environmental behavior, um, then there's a whole bunch of privilege around that, um, it's particularly if it doesn't change systems. So if we're not working on that, then I would rather pivot my attention to creating community and relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. Mm. Many yeah. People go through different things at different times. Everybody serves. You know, my rage serves. Somebody out in the street serves. You're digging in the garden serves. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's, but, you know, I go back to the relationship and the consciousness and the connection. Yeah. Growing together. I, I wrote a really ragey um, spoken word piece a couple years ago for a rally, and I was actually going to open with this, and, I'm, and I, then I realized. I'm not in that ragey place anymore. Um, and it didn't. It'll come back around. 
<laughs> well, the funny thing is, I wrote a really ragey blog post and got kicked out of a Facebook group because of it. And what that taught me was that I did not bring the people along on a journey to that rage. And my job as a writer is to bring people along on a journey and to have them feel my outrage rather than make them feel outraged. I mean, make them feel like I was outraged at them. And so, like, yeah, rage is powerful, anger is powerful, and yet, like all tools, I have to wield it wisely, and I did not in that instance. And so, and, it, and it's because I felt something, and I was pissed off, and so I wrote this thing up and felt really righteous and posted it and hurt people. And it did not move the conversation. So one of the things that I love about being, um, so I'm a farmhand, which I absolutely love. Um, one of the things I love about it is that all the time, I am always astonished at the variety of insects, the variety of just tomatoes, the variety of things. And all healthy ecosystems are pluralistic. So there is room for you. There is room for everyone. There is room for the way that you show up in the world without apology. Like there is just room for all of us.